Welcome to the Essay for Essays Asset Allocator Podcast, a series that addresses issues of current interest to financial advisors, including ETFs, asset allocation, and the economy. I'm your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and today we're going to do something a little different and talk about a significant issue for advisors, but one that is almost never addressed, which is how happy or unhappy they are in their jobs. We will explore this topic with Mark Ellswig, a top Wall Street recruiter with over 30 years experience who has published an ebook on this important topic. Mark Ellswig's job is to place advisors who are perhaps less than happy in their current firm into a situation where they will hopefully be more content. I've personally known Mark for many, many years, and I can assure listeners he's got knowledge, perspective, and understanding very much worth learning from. Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you so much, Gil. Mark, did I correctly adduce that your writing this ebook may have something to do with having encountered a lot of unhappy advisors? The impetus, frankly, is that I am a former social worker. I'm very interested in psychology, and I happen to be reading some uh, books from a field called positive psychology. And positive psychology is basically about how people who are, you might call them normal, they're well-functioning, they're doing well in life. But positive psychology is basically about how they can do even better, how they can uh, you know, function in an optimal way and live their best life, so to speak. And it dawned on me, as I, as I happen to be looking at these books, that um, a lot of the insights here were very applicable to financial advisors, and that's what prompted me to write the ebook. So what is the biggest source of advisor dissatisfaction you've seen and maybe a possible solution for it? I think the biggest source is essentially that advisors don't always feel in control. They're, they're subject to all kinds of whimsical firm changes. Even when you're an advisor and you put together an investment program, you're not totally in charge of what the markets are going to do. And then when you factor in that the regulatory environment in which advisors live is still in a state of flux, even now the whole um, fiduciary standard thing hasn't really been fully settled. And then you add that to the fact that there's all kinds of competition now from surprising sources, uh, you know, places like Vanguard that are offering clients access to, um, to a money management program uh, with a person to talk to for like 30 basis points. Essentially, there's a lot of competition and like it or not, there's pressure on fees. I find advisors are spending more time talking to clients about exactly what services they're providing to showcase their value. So I think it's a, I think it's a stressful time for many advisors. And what's the fix for that? How can an advisor gain a sense of well-being by reasserting a degree of control? What I really took away from these books is that we're built to want a sense of autonomy to enjoy a sense of mastery, and to need a sense of purpose. And if you can focus on those three things and just make some tweaks to your practice, the results can be dramatic. And starting with, you know, with uh, autonomy first, a lot of occupations are very regimented. Advisors have a lot of freedom to decide what kinds of clients they want, uh, what kinds of clients they want to keep if they built a good practice, what products they want to sell, what kind of investment program they want to set up. And it's, it's really a, um, a fundamental part of human satisfaction to want to be autonomous. And I think if advisors can just reflect on the 
a relatively large amount of autonomy that they have in their practices, that can be an important part of satisfaction. The point you make at the very beginning of your ebook is that financial advisors generally earn a lot more than the average income, but 50% or so regret having chosen that job. So what you seem to be saying is that they should fully exploit the advantages of their job, which include more of a possibility for autonomy. Is that correct? Right. So just to give some very quick examples, there's an excellent book by Daniel Pink called Drive, where he makes that point. He shows essentially that, for example, Google afforded its engineers, they told them that they can take 20% of their time to work on any projects that they like. And from that 20% of free time, it was not regimented. Google Talk, Google Sky, Google Translate, all those innovations came as a result of uh, those kinds of unstructured time. Similarly, at 3M, you know, the post-it notes that we see all over the place, that was invented uh, by 3M engineers under the same format, just the company allowing them to have free time. So the point is that human beings really have a need not to be regimented, and they do their, they're the most creative and the most content when they're able to express their autonomy. One thing you discuss in your ebook is flow. What is it and what keeps an advisor from attaining it and perhaps what helps them achieve it? Well, flow is actually like a fascinating, um, that's also a fascinating concept. And that goes to the second pillar that I mentioned, which is mastery. There's a famous book uh, called Flow, written by a psychologist with a very long name, Mahali. Sounds like uh, chick behind. I won't... Uh, I won't get into the exact pronunciation, but the point of flow is that it's an experience where you become so deeply immersed in what you're doing that you lose all sense of time, all sense of self, and you're doing something and you're wholly engaged in it just as an end in and of itself with no other motivation. And in order to get into a state of flow, number one, you have to be concentrating can't have like if you have a you know if you're multitasking and looking at your email as you're doing as you're working you're not going to get into that state but you have to have a task that is challenging where you're getting some feedback on whether you are getting closer and closer to achieving your goals and the task should be optimally kind of um, you know kind of a little bit of a reach for you so that you're expanding so that you're expanding your abilities but basically for a, for a financial advisor what that means is if you're somebody who is um, always learning more about how to put together an investment program you're always learning more about the latest techniques in behavioral finance that you can use to help your clients invest more successfully if you're honing your interpersonal skills so that your team is going to run properly. If you're totally immersed in what you're doing and able to really focus on it and you're getting better and better, that is a tremendous source of happiness. Uh, there's an example in uh, his book of a guy who's a welder. He's a welder in a factory. And periodically, they give this guy difficult tasks that are new and a little bit difficult. And as a result, he gets into a state of flow and just becomes, you know, perennially happy. And the beauty, the beauty of flow is that this kind of happiness is kind of available to all of us at any time 
And it's just a matter of us setting our minds up to focus and get immersed in what we're doing and feel that we're getting more and more competent and, and better. So this view is kind of diametrically opposed to the view of happiness, you know, happiness, I'm on a beach, I'm having a cocktail, I'm watching the sunset. The concept of flow says, no, that's just transient, feel, feel good, but that's not going to really produce happiness. So the beauty of flow is that it's available to all of us at any time, no matter our, uh, what our life situation is. And from a research standpoint, the author documents how the experience of flow is, um, they basically empirically verified it across many different cultures. They interviewed artists, athletes. Um, religious figures who were uh, meditating. They interviewed all kinds of people and they documented this as, as a fact across cultures and across occupations. And it's a, it's a type of happiness that's readily available as long as you put yourself in the zone, so to speak. You've spoken about welders. You also discuss in your book, hospital cleaners. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So tell us well, what advisors can yeah. learn from that little tidbit. <laughs> well, uh, that's great because that's the third point. The third point, there are basically three pillars of happiness as far as human motivation goes. We, I mentioned autonomy, mastery, and flow is an example of that. The third one is purpose. And here's a fascinating study of hospital cleaners. They interviewed hospital cleaners. And they found that there were certain people cleaning hospitals who viewed their work as part of a higher calling. They saw themselves as people who were there to make the patients happier and make the hospital run better. And they spent time talking to the patients, being cheerful, uh, greeting, greeting all the visitors. And those people, those hospital cleaners were far happier and more fulfilled than people who were just, just doing a job for no higher purpose. And as a matter of fact, those hospital cleaners were happier than doctors who were who didn't find meaning in their work. So what that really shows is that it's important in whatever we do in life to make sure that we're not just, you know, we're not that we're doing it for a higher purpose. And with financial advisors, that's a helping occupation. So you really are helping people. And what that really means is if you're just focusing on racking up more gross, you're probably not going to get happier. I mean, you might get happier for momentarily when you achieve your objectives, but it's not going to last. And if you want to really be happier, you really have to focus on yourself as a person with a mission. You're there to help people have a happier retirement. You're there to help people feel more secure about their finances to achieve their other financial objectives. And or you can also focus on how what you're doing is really to benefit your family. So if you can see, if you can start to see what you do every day in terms of a higher greater and more meaningful purpose in a fundamental sense that will make you a happier person. So you can learn a lot from hospital cleaners, Gil. Indeed I did. So uh, <laughs> one other thing you discuss is a certain kind of affluence, not the one that most people are thinking of perhaps that most leads to a sense of well-being. Could you discuss that with us? Oh, yes. What you're referring to is time affluence. And that's one of the other things that people can do. Time affluence is actually um, considered to be, studies on it indicate that it is the most consistent predictor of an individual's sense of happiness. So what that really means is that you are making time in your week, every week, to 
engage in activities that you truly find pleasurable. And that can be getting together with friends, spending time with family, spending time on um, different hobbies that you like. And people who feel they have time affluence, that they have enough time to do the things that really matter to them in life, those are, ha those are happy people. In fact, um, one author wrote a great book called Happier, uh, Tal Ben-Shahar. He um, suggests that we keep a... Um, basically um, a journal where we rank our activities, the activities that we have to do every week in terms of their um, ability to be happiness producing and make sure that on an ongoing way that we're spending enough time with happiness producing activities. So time affluence is a, is a, uh, is a key concept. It also means if you have routine tasks that don't interest you, like uh, doing laundry or, you know, certain kinds of uh, clerical work or research that you can hire people to do, do it <laughs> and, and focus your time as much as possible on things that will lead to your own personal satisfaction or flow. Okay. Have somebody else do your compliance regulatory headache type work. Is there maybe one more thing? This is a final question for you. Maybe one more thing a financial advisor could do uh, throughout each day to become happier? Keep a gratitude journal. It sounds very um, corny, but I actually have a friend who does this a lot. If you take time every, uh, every day to write down things in life that you are grateful for and focus on them, research says that that will make you a happier person. When we have a sense of purpose, a sense of flow, a sense of mastery, we'll enjoy our jobs a lot more. That is Mark Ellswig's message. Advisors, get his free ebook on ellswig.com. Thanks for joining our show, Mark. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast of value, consider passing it on to one other advisor. Also, feel free to contact me at gill at seekingalpha.com with any feedback that you might have. This is Seeking Alphas, Gil Weinrich.